Well, hey, everybody, I'm so excited to be able to share for a few weeks about a topic that's very dear to my heart, worship, in this series that we kick off today called This Beautiful Noise. I'm praying that God will expand your understanding of what it means to truly worship Him, and I'm praying that He will call you to a new level of obedience through it. I'm excited about what it's going to mean for you and for us. We're going to start in John chapter 4 today. I'm going to begin in verse 7. Look at this. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, you must be a prophet. Tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worshiped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask as we open our hearts to your message today that you would speak into it God, you would allow your word to bring clarity where there's been confusion. And God, that you would instruct us in the way of life. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Now, I want to deal with the topic as we get started today. What is worship? What is worship? This is such an important question. And we wrestle with it in so many different ways. But it's important because, and this is the first thing in your notes today, Everybody worships. Everybody worships. You worship, I worship, my kids worship, the president worships, the pope worships. Everybody worships. See, worship is not a Sunday-only thing. It's an everyday thing, an every second thing. We worship Christians, I mean, Christians who gather together in, in sacred spaces and sing songs and recite these very powerful passages to each other. We worship, but did you know that atheists worship too? Everybody, everywhere, 
every day, every moment is worshiping. This is why if you've relegated worship to a Sunday experience or a song, you don't know what worship really is. I mean, think about this for a second. Just isolating worship to a, a Sunday experience or a song. I mean, some of us love to sing. It's not even a burden to do that. We'll sing a country song. We'll sing a pop song. And you think about just the Sunday gathering. I mean, we, we make it easy for you to come to church. We take care of your kids. We give you free coffee. We make it as simple and accessible as possible. Those things are easy. But the thing about worship is worship will cost you. It'll cost you. Worship is costly. There's a price to be paid when we worship something. And this is so important to understand because if you worship the wrong things, it'll cost you some of the best things. Some of us haven't figured that out yet. And in our lives, we're, we're worshiping the wrong things. And what's happening is as we worship those things, it's actually costing us what we would label as the best things in our lives. Some of us are worshiping our, our jobs. We're, we're responding. We're, we're doing whatever we need to do for our job. We're, we're literally paying the cost to be whatever our job needs. But you know what happens? If you worship your job, you can lose your family. You know, in 20 years, the only person that's going to remember that you stayed late to work, the only person will be your kid. Not your boss. Not your co-workers. If you worship your job, can lose your family. Some of us are prone to worshiping our kids, though. These wonderful gifts from God, but somehow our worship moves from God to the gift that He gave us, and all of a sudden we start losing our, our real purpose in life. And our purpose becomes just them. It's just to make them happy, just to keep them fed, just to keep them going. And all of a sudden, they start growing and start moving out. And we lose ourselves. See, you can worship a friendship. We're friends. You, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, whatever. And, and all of a sudden, we, we lose ourselves in it. Worship is costly. In the Old Testament, worship happened around what was called the sacrificial system. You, you would have to be made right with God. You would go and worship. And the way that you would worship is you would bring with you some of your crops, some of the animals, and you would sacrifice them to God. And that sacrifice for a time would make you right with God. Now, ultimately, Jesus became the sacrifice for all of us. This is why Jesus died on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins once and for all. But in Genesis chapter 4, we see a moment 
where the sacrificial system is emerging. All right, out of the garden, now with the sons of Adam and Eve. Look at this. When it was time for the harvest, Cain, who's one of Adam and Eve's sons, presented, notice the word, some of his crops as the gift to the Lord. Abel, his brother, also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, there's a principle here. Cain says, oh, I don't want to pay a big price in worship. I'll bring some. I'll bring, I, know, I know that I'm supposed to honor God. There's been an increase in my life. I'll bring some of it. Abel said, no. God, you have blessed me. Look at all that has happened. He brought the best. He brought the first. And he brought it and he gave it to God. And God looked at Abel and said, I accept your sacrifice. I accept your worship. Cain, I'm not taking some. Why? Because God demands to be central in our lives. God demands to be at the center of our lives. He was for Abel. This is why Abel said, I'll bring my first. I'll bring my best. Cain said, I'll bring some. Now, I, I want you to understand why God demands this. I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, nothing else can withstand the glory of our lives. Now, when we think about this, what can actually, the word glory stands for weight. That's the original meaning of that word in the text. What can withstand the weight of all God wants to do in our lives? Only God can. And we can put our kids at the, and there's so many people who do this with their kids. They, they put so much weight on their kids and you can see them struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear, struggling with worry, don't want to disappoint mom, can't live under the expectations, right? You, you can't do that. Your kids can't be center. Your job can't be center. God alone can be. C.S. Lewis was asked one time, Why? Do we always, I mean, even when we've worked so hard on it and we've done a good job, why do we always give the glory to God? And he said so simply, we give all the glory to God because our egos cannot handle it. God must be at the center of our lives so simply because only he can withstand the glory of our lives. But then number two, look at this, nothing else can do what he can do for us. Whatever we put at the center of our life, we're looking for it to supply. We're looking for it to give us power. We're looking for it to give us significance. And only God can give you the power and significance and purpose that we really need to live this life. See, think about it. You can worship your job. You can worship your, your kids. You can worship your friends. But there are things that they can't do for you that God can do for you. They can't save you. They can't alter your eternity. Only God can. That's why we, we must understand that, that worshiping God, it's worth the cost. I want to give you a working definition for what worship is for us. And that's number three. Look at this. Worship is our response to what's central in our lives. God needs to be at the center, okay? 
He needs to be. But there are often, there's other things that are at the center. But worship is our, the way we re- respond to what's at the center. Simply put, worship is a response. And what we're responding to often is what's at the center of our lives. I love how Richard Foster in the great book, The Celebration of Discipline, said, the worship is our response to the overtures of love the Father has played for us. God started the song, but now we're just responding to what he's already done. Worship is a response, and ultimately it's a response to what you think is important or powerful. This is why when we worship our job, what we're worshiping is we're worshiping, well, it's got to be my boss. It's got to be my job. They, they must be provider. When we worship our kids, this is where my purpose is. It's not in God, okay? This is, and just hear me out, okay? Mom is a wonderful title. Dad is a wonderful title. It is not your supreme purpose, okay? You can't, that's, my, my purpose is, is to be loved by and to love Jesus, now, if friends, right, when I worship friends, what's happening? All right, I can, I can all of a sudden lose something that is really important to who I am. Go back to Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. What made Abel's sacrifice pleasing to God? Why was Cain only bringing some to God, so, something that was worth rejecting. It's simple. Abel was responding to the fact that God had provided for him. He knew God had caused the increase, and because of that, he was willing to bring his first and his best. See, when we're responding to God's initiatives, we're worshiping. When God starts something, when he initiates something in our lives and we begin responding to him, God, you started this. I'm, I'm so glad I can respond to it. That's worship. It all comes back to worship. Did you notice that in the conversation with the woman at the well? I mean, this is such an interesting conversation because it goes through so many different facets. and It's, it's talking about her, her marriages, and it's, it's talking about Samaria and the, the complications just simply in the, the conversation about water, all these other things, but then it lands on worship. Why is that? I want to submit to you, it's really simple. If you're taking notes, this is one of the things that we're looking at today. You were created to worship. You were created to. Why does it all come back to worship? Because you were created. God made you to worship. But let me remind you of this. If you worship the wrong things, it'll cost you some of the best things. This is why we need to regularly assess what we're reacting or responding to. We need to take a step back and actually look in our lives and say, uh, what are the forces that are acting on my life that are causing me to respond, to move, to react? I love Andy Stanley said this one time, actions speak louder than words, reactions speak louder than both. If we think about it, what are we reacting to in life? What is it that this happens and, and it's, 
outside of what we would normally do or how we would want to live, but we find ourselves moving that way, spending too much money, spending too much time, giving too much energy, giving too much attention to. Psalm 139 has a prayer. I bring you back to this regularly because I think we need to be asking this a lot. I love this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now think about this. There's four things that he's praying right here. God, first search my heart. There are things in my heart that I might not even know are there. Would you search me? And as you search me, test me. Make sure that none of what's in here is anxious, fearful. God, let me see it. And if there is, God, if there is any offensive way, highlight it. Let me see what's offensive to you. And then, God, I'm going to trust you, this is for, to lead me out of it. Every once in a while, we need to take a step back in our lives and begin to pray this prayer over our lives. And here's some reactions that you need to check, some things in your life. Here's the first one. How am I reacting to my boss and my job? Okay. Am I viewing my job as my provision or am I still viewing God as the provider? Okay. Here's another one. My spouse. My spouse. Am I, am I looking for supreme love for my spouse or am I looking to God for that? All right. My kids. This is another one. Am I finding my purpose in my kids or am I finding my purpose in my relationship with my Father in heaven? All right. Am I looking to my friends? Here's another one. Am I looking for my friends? Are you telling me who I am and what I'm supposed to do? Or am I looking to God? God, are you telling me who I am and what I'm supposed to do? All right. My parents. This is another one. All right. We're supposed to honor our parents. If you're living at home, mom tells you to clean the room, you go clean the room, okay? But as we become adults, there's a space that has to become where we start to say, okay, I'm going to honor you, which means I'm going to give you respect even when I'm going to give you a space to speak into my life. I'm going to give you space to, to give me advice, but I'm going to honor supremely my relationship with God. Which are you responding to? Which are you reacting to? And here's another one, my hobbies. I think it is a good, if you're a, a, a person that's watching this right now, it is a good thing to have a hobby. We need something that gives us fulfillment, that recharges us, but I want you to hear something, okay? You don't need to have a hobby that you're supremely reacting to. If you're a hunter and your wife doesn't see you in November and December, there's a problem. You're reacting to your hobby, not to your greatest responsibilities. Remember, if you worship the wrong things, you'll lose the best things. You were created to worship. God created you to worship. This is why our hearts will find these things like a hobby, like something that we enjoy, like a friend, like a career, and our hearts will respond to it. God created you to worship, but listen to me. You were created to worship God because you were created to be loved by Him and to love Him. This is why God made you. And I want you to see something that came out of the passage we read today. Number two, we can only worship God in spirit and in truth. 
in spirit in the truth. Jesus is talking to the woman and he says, listen, you're worried about where you worship. Is it on this mountain or is it in Jerusalem? I want you to be worried about how you worship. Not where you worship, but how. Spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. I want to take a moment and try to understand those two words. I think truth is fairly easy to understand. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is Jesus. All right? Truth is not a bunch of facts. In our world, we think of it that way. I know the truth. And what we're really saying is I know some facts. Just because you know some facts doesn't mean you know the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, come and follow me. When we understand the truth, we see it in Jesus, and it provokes us to follow after him. Now, what does it mean to worship in spirit? The Greek word in the text is pneuma, which is often translated God's spirit or our spirit or a spirit. But it can also mean a movement of air, pneuma, such as speech. See, maybe what Jesus was trying to say is not as unpragmatic as we like to think it is. Maybe what he's speaking to her is remarkably practical. He's saying, listen, you need to worship in truth but your breath, your pneuma, needs to align with the truth. See, when our words and our actions align to following Jesus, we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's not just my actions and then I say whatever I want or I say whatever I want and I do something different. No, they come into agreement. What I say and what I do, now it merges into alignment and then there is worship that's happening in spirit and in truth. What do we call somebody whose words and actions don't align? Think about that for a second. If their words and their actions are not in agreement, they're not in alignment, we call them a hypocrite. And there were a lot of things that Jesus had a problem with in his day, but the thing that he seemed to have the most problem with was hypocrites. And in our day and age, it's remarkable the level of comfort that we have with hypocrisy. Jesus said, no, listen, if you want to worship the Father, the Father is spirit. He is, think about this, a movement. And he is looking for someone who the movements of their lives will align with the truth. We must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, number three, when we worship God, we become living echoes of Jesus. We become 
just living echoes, walking around this world, echoing Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. Is any echo as good as the original? No, it's not. I mean, once something starts to echo, it starts to degrade a little bit. It's not as good as the original. But the thing about an echo is you can tell that it's connected to the original. We are designed to echo the character in the nature of Jesus to this world. God made us to do that. That's who we are. Think about that. Imagine your life echoing love and joy and peace, forgiveness and grace and healing and hope and kindness and love and joy and peace, and forgiveness, and grace, and healing, and hope, and kindness. Imagine what your world would be like with that echoing through it. I think about that woman in Jesus. You know, the day that Jesus encountered that woman, she had been through a lot. There's a lot of pain in her past. A lot of shame in her present. I want to give you a different perspective, perhaps, on who that woman was. A lot of times when we talk about the woman at the well, we, we teach her as if she had been an adulterous woman. Uh, uh, some scholars have pointed out that if that were the case, she wouldn't have been remarried. That the presence of multiple remarriages might suggest that she had lost husbands to death early on. That maybe what we're dealing with here is the tragic case of a widow who's lost five husbands and has become unmarriable within her community. Jesus crossed cultural and religious barriers to encounter her. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. She was a woman. He was a man. It was the middle of the day, but there he was encountering her. And I want you to hear this. God loves you so much that he, in the same way, will cross every boundary, every barrier to come and to encounter you. And as Jesus encountered that woman, within those few moments, her life changed. We see this later on in John 4. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, stay with us, stay with us for a few days. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now, notice what she did. She said, he told me everything I ever did. Who did she tell that to? The people in her community. See, they knew what had happened to her. She knew what had happened to her. But she didn't know that Jesus knew. And when he did, this mess that everybody knew about, her public mess, became the message 
that changed the city. See, there are some of us that want to hide our mess. We don't want anybody to see it. But the way God can turn a mess into a message is because we're allowing people, you can see the mess. And there's a point that needs to be made here. She could have walked away. She could have been so impressed with Jesus. You're a prophet. You said all the right things. She could have walked away impressed and done nothing. But instead, she responded to Jesus in worship. And lives were changed. God encountered her life. But then she responded to what God was doing. She didn't just let it be. God did. No, she responded. That's what worship is. It's a response. When we move because God has moved. When we give because God has given to us. When we forgive because God has forgiven us. When we have hope because the resurrection is real. Worship is a response. And when we live that out, we become echoes of Jesus on this earth. I want you to live a life that is filled with response to him.